believers, we as a church, we're called to be Christ's representative on, on earth. We're called to come into a community of believers to help strengthen each other. The church body is more about the strengthening of each other than it really is much else because if, if we're doing what we're supposed to do as a church, we are helping equip each other and strengthen each other to go out and live the best we can amongst people who don't understand what the, about the truth that we have. So the church is really more about us as, as the body of believers. But in this day and age, we've kind of gotten into a point where we bring people into the church who are not saved yet, which is completely, which is good because in a sense it then allows them to feel a sense of community and to be, to be brought in. It's a gentler experience. It's a much gentler experience because out in the world, when you have to take all the bumps of the world, when you're getting it in little pieces, it can be a much more difficult thing for you to learn and to adapt to because you have the world living like the world around you. But if you're bringing them into the church so that we can equip them in the church, it does help because it speeds along the ability. They see there are people who are like-minded. And that's the reason for the living in Babylon is because we see, like in Daniel, a group of people who were brought, taken out of their, where they were comfortable and brought into a place where the people literally believed almost everything opposite of them. Every virtue they saw to be chased, well, in Babylon it was well known to have, uh, they were known that they would, a woman on her 21st birthday or something like that, would have to like offer herself at one of these various temples to whoever paid whatever price for her, for prostitution. That was essentially like her gateway into womanhood type of thing. Well, the, the Jewish people, they believed, you know, you were to be chased until marriage. But it's a very different type of atmosphere. Every aspect of it was very different. They're very, the Jewish people were told to cover up, cover up all the way down, men and women. Uh, the Babylonians were known for where women would wear sheer clothing, where you could just see everything underneath. And stuff. So it was a very different experience. And it was really, you're taking, with Daniel, he was a teenage boy. He was a teenage boy. He was being thrown into this situation where there's all kinds of things going on around him that he has no control over. And so when we look in this, I kind of put, I put a subtitle on the thing, and it's called, God did not call us to change the culture. And that's true. God did not call us to change the culture. God called us to live in the world but not be a part of it. But he never actually said to change the culture. You shouldn't engage a culture war. Live in the world and be representatives of God. Because the question that, that oftentimes gets on people, that brings them down, like this morning when I said people get sad because you, you hear something on Sunday morning and you go out into the world and the two things don't jive. It seems like the nice person always finishes last. The person who's doing the right thing always finishes last. So then what do you do when you live in a world that hates God? What do you do when you live in a world that hates God? We're going to start in Daniel 1, first, chapter, first verse. 
we're going to go for a little bit. And we're going to see what Daniel, what, what happened with Daniel and his friends. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinir, to the house of, God, of his God. And he brought the vessel into the treasure house of his God. And the king spoke to Ashpathnes, uh, the master of his eunuchs, that should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, in cunning, in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach, and the learnings, and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Okay, the first thing to look at into this is that this was no picnic for 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 Daniel and his for these, these all of these boys that were brought over. They were kidnapped basically in the middle of the night. They were taken out across the desert, and it was not a good experience. It was a very very trying. They purposely didn't feed them properly at first when they were coming across. They only gave them like water and bread rations. So they had lost some weight in the process of moving across. Um, these are people that, you know, these are young boys, all over 13, but definitely under 20, that they just got done seeing the temple destroyed, the temple of God, torn right to the ground. They just, you know, they're brought in as slaves. They were castrated. They, if you notice, the eunuchs are the ones who took, who took them in. They were castrated to become eunuchs in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. So these are young boys with all the testosterone and everything they have, and they've been castrated for that. And we haven't seen it yet, but in a little bit, even, the, even again, the culture thing. When they renamed them, they renamed Daniel Belshazzar. Belshazzar means beloved or favored of Bel. Bel was a pagan god. Bel was essentially Satan. So they even renamed him beloved of Satan in this new group, in this new place where he had went to. You know, again, he was they were mistreated at first. They had all kinds of issues. So this was not a happy occurrence for these boys. It wasn't like they said, okay, everybody get up. We're going to go to go to Babylon. You're going to become Babylonians now. No, they were kidnapped in the middle of the night. They were mistreated. It was a terrible experience. Very, I'm sure, very traumatizing for these young boys. So we're going to start in 6. And it says, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. And he gave to Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach. And to Mishael, he gave Meshach. And to Azariah, he gave Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So, 
Again, and this is, this is really simple about the question I asked, what do you do when you live in a world that hates God? You live well. That's how you do it. You live well. You live the best you can. Do the best you can. Live the best you can. Do the right thing because God says it's the right thing. That's it. Be an example. He, all this stuff happened, and Daniel said, you know what? I'm taking a stand. No. I'm not going to defile. I'm not going to just take after them. I'm going to live the customs I continue. I was taught as a child. I'm going to continue to live according to God's purpose. And the craziest thing is, is because we have the living word of God as our ultimate source, and because we have his spirit inside of us, and in this time, in, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was not inside people, but it would dwell upon people for a period of time. And Daniel was very much blessed. And so the Spirit was on him. And so because of this, if we live the right way, God will allow us to have favor in the eyes of people who don't yeah. even know why yeah. they favor us. Yeah. Back when, in, when they went into Egypt, Joseph had, was favored by Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't even know why. He didn't believe that God. He didn't believe him. He just knew that this guy's a good person. He lives a good life. He does the things he said. He never complains. Right. He works hard. Okay, let's give him a shot. It's, it's all through the Bible. That's what you see. Is you see everybody give it a chance to follow along with what God wants. You see some people follow, some people fall. When you fall, you have to deal with the consequences of your fall. But those who follow God are always lifted up as pillars of what one could be. And they don't have to do it perfect. Again, there's guys like Elijah who, believe it or not, I was going to talk about this in the first service, but I, I just cut, I cut it out, is that Elijah actually, there's been like two or three different psychologists who did a study on Elijah, like taking the things of his life, they diagnosed him as being probably bipolar. He was probably bipolar. Because this was a person who one moment would be on the highest high. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's exulting, he's, you know, he's, he's standing up for what he believes in. And the very next day, he's scared for his life. He runs as far as he can. Three days just of running. Not even stopping to sleep at night. He just ran for three. The average person back then could travel a maximum of 12 miles in a day, give or take. So about, and you only traveled half the day, typically, during the coolest hours that you could before it got too cold. So that's about 30-something miles in three days. He ran from, in the, from, from one spot in Judah to a mountain that was some 50-something miles away because he ran day and night for three days, scared to death, scared for his life. And when he got there, God did not bash him. God did not tell him, you know, you coward, how could you possibly do this? You know what God did? He said, sleep, rest. I'll prepare water and food for you. Take it easy. And he rested. He spoke to him. He fed him. He, he gave him water. And in... Elijah was able to be fulfilled, sustained, and then he came to his senses and realized, why am I running? I've got the God of all creation on my side. I'm going to go back and be and stand for what I believe. And he did. 
And he's one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament for that. But he was not perfect. Very much a bipolar personality. Just because somebody's diagnosed with a mental disorder or they're, they're bipolar or they're schizophrenic doesn't mean they can't be used by God. Doesn't mean they can't be a vessel that God shines through. So, what we see is that life happens. It's tough. It's, it's going to be difficult. But I want to point out that in the beginning of that, in the second verse, it says, And the Lord gave Jeho- Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of God. The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory because it furthered his purpose. God is ultimately in control. Even in the bad moments, God is ultimately in control. Again, the bad moments might just be there so that you get a chance to shine. So that you get a chance to shine. We're going to see in a moment when we go through here that that that's exactly what happened here, was living in a situation, in a terrible situation, you experience something with Daniel that is God at his, basically it's his typical, it's what God typically does, and that is he puts somebody in a hard situation, and then he gives them a chance to shine, gives them a chance to show that they do truly worship the living God. So we're going to continue reading, starting in uh, 9. I want to say, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Look at that. Just like that, by standing up for what he cared, he believed in, doing it, prince of the eunuchs was like a love, tender love for someone that they were supposed to be torturing for all intents and purposes. And I'll explain real quick before we do the rest of this. The process they were doing with this was very smart. Has anybody ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome? That's where it's, it comes up from some situations that happened in Stockholm where there was a bank robbery and they took hostages. Well, the, 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 at first, of course, the hostages want to get away. Then all of a sudden, the bank robbers, though, they started keeping them safe. They said, we need blankets, we need stuff, and the cops would give it to them. They said, we need food. There was a woman who was pregnant. They let her leave so she could have the child. They start watching over the people. This, this, this thing happened where this, there was this face-off that lasted like 20 days or something like this. After several weeks in, two weeks in, all of a sudden, the people, the, these, these, these bank robbers, they could give the gun to one of the hostages and say, watch out for us, we're going to go in the other room. And the hostages would do it. The hostages would actually work for them. Because it's this amazing thing in your brain that happens, which is they need, the hostages first started out, they're scared. And there's trauma to them. They're, they're, they're hurt. Their they're psyche is damaged. Then all of a sudden, they realize the only way to survive is to rely on our captors. So we do what they say so that we can continue to survive and to live. It's a survival technique and mechanism. So, in Stockholm, when that, I mean, we're talking literally, they set up a thing where they were going to trick the guys to go into the other room 
and then like come up from behind and invade from behind and try and take them out, one of the cat people and the captives actually alerted them to the fact that the police were coming in the door and even tried to stop them from, from doing it. Again, because you actually begin to feel a sense of, of it's, it's not love, but it's a, it's a perverse form of, of love in the sense that these people are taking care of you, so you need them. Even against logic, you need them. So that's what they did. They took these boys in the middle of the night, they dehydrated them and starved them on the way over. But once they got into Babylon, all of a sudden they said, the king said, no, no, no. Treat them to the best foods. Give them the best stuff. Give them anything they need. Because it, it's, it works on the people to where that these boys will now start to rely on the king. Rely on the eunuchs. So that it, the, their, their allegiances will be switched from the old allegiance to the new allegiance. So that's what they were trying to do here. They were trying to literally get these boys to change allegiance this way. So it's a very smart technique that they were doing to try and get these boys to change over. But again, Daniel saw it for what it was through probably through a foresight of God and decided that he was going to stick to his principles. So we'll continue again with 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs, and the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make uh, men uh, danger, uh, then may you endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove your servants, meaning prove us, test us. I beseech you, ten days, let them give us pulse, which is basically like mashed vegetables, to eat and water to drink. Then let our continents be looked upon before you, and the continents of the children that eat of the portions of the king's meat, as you see, deal with your servants. So he consented, to them in this matter and prove them ten days. And at the end of ten and at the end of ten days their countenance appeared fairer, fatter in the flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them all pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And then 18. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even to the first year of King Cyrus. So we see, following God's instruction, staying with what God had to do, God blessed them amongst all. And it makes sense that the same people who would have the foresight to call upon God in a time like this 
where they're being they're being encouraged to do something against what they've been taught, that those people would, if they're getting proper nutrition, they're eating well, they're living right, they're living clean, that they would grow in knowledge, they would grow in strength, they would grow in wisdom, because they have to. Your young boys, they have to learn a new language, they have to learn new mathematics, they have to learn all these things. And as the stuff is coming upon them, the Lord is strengthening them through their proper, through, through their good choices. By making good choices and living well, they're being strengthened. And the king saw them ten times as good as anybody else in his kingdom. So, the question of what do you do when you live in a world that hates God? You live well. You live well. That's how you do it. There are many ways to do this. I wrote down four, three things that I could think of that have at least helped me. The first one is turn off the noise. At least a few hours a day. Turn it all off and get some quiet. Not just when you're sleeping, but just some point during the day, try and turn it off. We have social media. We have news. It's on 24-7. We're hearing about shootings and this and all these different things just bombarding us. You can't walk outside without a neighbor going, oh, do you hear about... Turn it all off. Find a place. Even if you can't do hours, make yourself, you know, if you like coffee, like myself, if you like tea or something, make yourself a drink. Go sit in a corner somewhere for a half hour and just just let yourself think. Let yourself be alone with your thoughts to, comp- to contemplate, to be alone with God. That's, that's probably the best thing that, that I've ever found, is just being silent for a little bit. A man of many words, my greatest moments and achievements have been done when I've been silent. <laughs> Number two is to keep your eye on Jesus. Always keep, that's keep an eternal mindset. Something might be happening, it might be terrible, but you know what? If you do the best you can now, in eternity, it's all going to be worth it. You might not enjoy it. It might just be terrible. You might just be counting the weeks or months until it's over. Do it to the fullest, the best you can. Your workers for God, your work should be top-notch in everything you do. Clearly, we see here, Daniel and his friends, they tried the hardest at everything. I guarantee you there were, there's an aspect of, of God's anointing on them. But another part of that is the fact that they tried. I guarantee you they were reading, they were studying, they were working. They were, they were trying to be the best they could be. It didn't happen on accident. They didn't just sleep their life away and suddenly wake up ten times more knowledgeable than everybody else. They, they, they did what they had to do. And again, you don't have to just be reading. Sometimes listening is the best thing. Listen to people when they talk. Listen to people who are older than you. Listen to children. Sometimes children will say things and they'll shock you with the little insights they'll have. You're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Listen. Pay attention. Again, take some quiet time. Listen for the birds. Listen to the rain when it's raining. You know, and just, just let yourself listen to, to God and follow and keep your eyes on Jesus. The third thing is, and this is the hardest, because especially for Baptists, because we like to hate things, and that is pray for your enemies. 
pray for those who are evil. They don't know any better. Paul said, how can you be angry at the people outside of the church when they don't know what you know? You can't judge them by the Bible. They've never read the Bible. You can't judge them by the works of Christ. They don't know Christ. So how can you judge them? There's people in the church doing worse things. Because Paul is talking yeah. to the Corinthians. He's going, you guys are doing things that the people outside the church are going, you see what they're doing? Yeah. Wow. So Paul's saying, you got worse things going on in the church, and you're worried that people outside the church aren't following your rules. Why would they follow your rules? They're not in the church. They don't know. But what if you prayed for them? That they would know. That they would find a way. There are ISIS terrorists that have been locked in a jail over in Baghdad. And while in jail, had an experience that led them to accept Christ. There's, there, were, there were people preaching today over in Iraq that they were terrorists at one time. But somebody cared enough to give them a Bible. Somebody cared enough while they were in, in jail to pray with them. Somebody cared enough to say, hey, you know that Jesus, when they say Isa, that from the Bible, you know, he's a lot more than just a big prophet. He's, he's a redeemer, and, and he can save you from yourself. And that worked on them. Pray for those who people, not just that are enemies, but that are evil. That they'll see they're evil. They'll see they're, where they lack. Again, that, I mean, that's, um, it's, I don't know, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, that's the leader of ISIS, which is currently, I guess there's some news, they may or may not have him, like, stuck in a, a spot. So where they, they, they might be able to get him soon. But as great as that is, oh, they're going to stop this guy because ISIS seems like it's all but taken out at this point. Wouldn't it be amazing if he got saved and instead of just being killed in a drone strike or something, he went out and started proselytizing those people that he was radicalizing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He stands on the mountain and says, listen, I've been teaching you to hate. You need to love. You need the Bible. Pray for them. Pray for the evil in this world that it will see itself for what it is and it will turn to the light and to the knowledge that we have. We have the key to everything. We have the key to heaven, to eternal life, to keep that away from anyone, including somebody who's evil. We are evil at times. We've done things that are bad. To keep that away from somebody else just because you say, well, they're an evil person. Yeah, they are an evil person. God can change anybody. God used Nebuchadnezzar, a very evil person, to exact the things that needed to be done so that the people and the children of Israel would learn from their wicked ways and change. God can use anybody. He's ultimately in control. Pray for those who would persecute you if given the chance. That is a very important thing. Uh, we can flip. I'm going to have you flip real quick to Romans 12, 18. One of my favorite one of my favorite because I know a lot of people get upset at me because I preach being being loving too much. And uh, I like to point out I love Romans 12, 18. It says Well, we'll start in 17. It says recompense means give back to or, or give back to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. 18. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, 
good, peaceable with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will repay. We don't need to repay. God handles it. God is ultimately in control. If we do what's right, we will be in his will, and we might be instruments of that setting it correctly. But God will handle it. We don't need we don't need to worry about it. Pray for those who would do evil. Again, pray for those who would do evil to you if they had the chance. They might not be doing evil to you right now because they just never had the chance. But they would pray for that person. You know, it might be a political person. So that person, you know, politically, they're just they're evil. Pray, pray that they would change. Pray that something would switch. You know, we, you know, a lot of people have changed later on in life very late in life, and lived very full lives for God in the very last years of their life. Sometimes you do the most when you have the least amount of time. (laughs) So, what do we do? We live well. We work hard. We love strong. Love strong. Your children, hold on to them with everything you got. Pray for them daily. Be there for them when they need it. Somebody who, who, who would never ask you for help, just let them know you're here if you need it. They may never even ask. They would never think to ask. Let them know. Love strong. So we work hard because we are God. Our work should be above and it should be superior because we've got the living God behind us. Why wouldn't it be superior? Work hard. Love strong. Live at peace. And the only way to get that peace is to turn your eyes on Jesus and keep focused Amen. on Him. Amen. So, all right, for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this book that just has the insight that we can just build our lives upon. And that just, it's so great that we're not called to change this world, to change this culture. Because that's what you do. You've taken it off our shoulders. We're not burdened to change it. We're just burdened. The only thing we have to do is worry about people's souls. You know, one person at a time, may every one of us just find one person that we can come beside, that we can help, that we can love, that we can live at peace, and people will see you in us, and they will want a peace of what we have. We just thank you, Lord, for just all of your blessings, the blessings we forget to thank you for, May we may you bring them to our minds so that every night we'll be able to remember what you've done for us and all the greatness that you are. You're ever merciful and ever mighty and powerful. God, be upon these people, be upon this community as we continue to go out this special life. Asking everything in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus.